Good morning. God's grace, his mercy, and his peace are with you from God our Father and through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. When God gives us his bountiful grace, it is a joyful thing to come together and share that grace with each other. So often those happy feelings that we get from the joy of grace change our perspective on life. We don't want to forget them or leave them behind. We, don't, we want to remember them throughout the whole week. They remind us of what's truly important. And so as we go through our weeks, even when we hit rough patches, we know where we can go to and we know who we can go to. We hope that people in our lives feel that they can come to us when they hit a rough time in their lives. That's how the relationship between Paul and the Thessalonians worked. God had sent Paul to the city of Thessalonica and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified for their sins in that city for three weeks. It's not really a long time when you think about it. Paul was the pastor of that church and he was in and out in three weeks. But still, Paul was able to share life with these people. He was able to share the gospel with these people. He knew their fears. He knew their doubts. He knew what troubled them. And when Paul left to go on to the next city on his journey, pressures and persecutions and those doubts and fears started to cloud the Thessalonians' perspective, started to make them forget what Paul was telling them. And so, Paul wrote two letters to the church in Thessalonica. And he wanted to use his words to encourage them and to point them back to the joyful times they had when they were sharing grace together. Today we have five words from Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians in front of us. And these words point that remind the Thessalonians of what's truly important in life. I haven't been here at Holy Word very long. I think it's only three months so far. That's longer than Paul's three weeks in Thessalonica. And it's also long enough to see some of your doubts and your fears come up. I know what has shaken you and your faith whether it's something in this world, something in your life, something in the church. And so my my hope today is that I can be your Paul. I want to take you into these words that have been passed down past the Thessalonians and made their way all the way to you because they're meant for you too. I hope to remind you that even when doubt shakes you in your life, you can look back to Paul's words and apply them to your lives. So the first thing Paul wants us and the Thessalonians to do when doubt shakes you is to remember who you are. How many people have gotten a pet from the Humane Society or the pet shelter? Maybe you haven't, but you know someone who has. And if you don't even know someone who has, you're at least familiar with a story that sounds something like this. 
Mom and dad want to take their two little children to the pet shelter. And they stress to themselves, they stress to the little ones as they're going in, we're only going to look, okay? We're not, we don't have room for a pet. We can't afford a pet. But then what happens as they go in? The whole family becomes fixated on this one little dog. And he's got the saddest little puppy dog eyes and he's got the saddest little story you've ever heard. He was found in a junkyard and he was beaten, he was bruised, he was scarred, he was riddled with disease and he was lost. And the parents keep thinking about this and the, and the children are begging them, please, can we take him home? He's so cute and adorable. The parents can't bear to think of what's going to happen to that dog if they don't take him home. They don't want to explain that to their children either. So this family goes home with a new member of the household. And the reason that story is relatable to so many people is because we've all gone through it. But we're not the family going through the animal shelter. We're that dog. There's nothing cute and cuddly about us. We were dirty, filthy, nasty, sinful junkyard dogs. But now we're here and we're sharing grace and we're sharing life together. What changed? What happened? 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 and 14 happened. Paul points us in the Thessalonians to these words and he says, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. As that sinful junkyard dog, you were destined for nothing but death. And God could not bear the thought of you dying, so he loved you. He chose you and he saved you. This wasn't just God's decision on a whim because you were so wonderful or you were so, so great in your own way. No, God made this decision to love you despite your sin. He made the decision before he even created the world. Before he said, let there be light, he chose you and he loved you and he set you apart from your eternal death. That's why Paul thanks God at the beginning of this verse. He doesn't say, thank Paul, I thank Paul for you. He doesn't thank the Thessalonians because it really has nothing to do with Paul or the Thessalonians, but it has everything to do with God because God chose them. God loved them. God saved them. God set them apart. When God sets you apart, he sanctifies you. That's what the word me- that's what sanctifying means, the setting apart work. So he took you out of the eternal grasps of eternal death and put you into his loving home. And there you find eternal life. 
And, where, and when you are brought into God's home, he washes you clean. He washes you of your sin and forgives all of them. And that is all made possible because of Jesus' sacrifice that was made that we just talked about in the children's message. Jesus' perfect life, perfect death, perfect resurrection all made it possible for you to be forgiven. Those things make you holy, make you clean. And now, because you are clean and a member of God's house, you share in the glory of Jesus. We got a glimpse of that glory in the reading from Revelation earlier. That glory radiates all of heaven. No sun, no lamp is needed. Just Jesus. We get another, another glimpse of that glory in the Gospels when Jesus takes three of his disciples up to a mountaintop and there he is transfigured or changed. His face becomes as bright as the sun and his clothes as bright as the light. And that's just a glimpse of that glory. You share in it now because of what God has made you to be. And you'll share in it fully when you're brought to your, full, to your true home in heaven. Now, some people have made it to heaven already, like the Thessalonians. That's why Paul calls them firstfruits. It's not like they receive any better treatment. They're not more saved or more loved than you are. God does not play favorites that way. God doesn't play favorites at all. God equally loves and equally saves everyone that he's chosen. The Thessalonians just get to taste their full glory first in heaven. That's why they're first fruits. The assurance of who you are can, be, can give you confidence, can give you certainty in your identity. But still, our, our footing as we brace against the pressures of this world can be shaky at times. Certainty and doubt jockey for position in your heart and they throw you back and forth and you might even feel like you're on a boat on choppy water. How many people know what that feels like? The deck of the boat is slippery. The waves crash against the side from it seems every which way and you're teetering back and forth and if you're not careful, you'll be thrown from the boat into the dangerous waters below. Even now as you hear the certainty of what God has done for you, Satan creeps in and you might whisper in your ear lies that God doesn't love you. Jesus' sacrifice doesn't cover your sins. You have to work for that love. And every time the devil tells one of those lies, it rocks that boat back and forth a little more. Satan loves that because the more he teeters and totters that boat, the easier it is for you to lose your footing and fall into that water below. But God has given us a firm foundation on which to stand. And Paul points us back to that firm foundation in verse 15. He says, So then, brothers and sisters, because of what God has done for you, Stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. So often we think 
we are standing firm, when really we're standing on things that are always moving and always changing, like sand. We stand on how we feel about the world, how the world looks, and we say, well, God must not love us then. But Paul points us back and he constantly reminds us of that one firm foundation we have, the true gospel message. That solid rock of Jesus Christ died and risen for you. That's the only way we can stand firm in our faith, stand firm and remember who we are, is if we hold on tightly to that gospel truth. And Paul constantly reminds us of that because we constantly need that. We always need to be reminded to stand firm and hold fast. That's why we're so so strong, we come on so strong about being involved in the Word here at Holy Word. Whether it's being in church on Sunday, being involved in a personal devotion, or being part of a connect group, we want you to be personally invested, deeply rooted in God's Word so that you can stand firm even when doubt and trouble come to shake you. When you do have that firm foundation, You become like the person in Psalm 1. God talks about this person and he says in the opening verses, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. And now because of this person's deep involvement with God's word, because he is deeply invested in the word, listen to how he's described in verse 3 of the psalm. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. God has taken you and he has planted you by the water of his word that source of goodness, the source of joy that we have when we come together. As you continue in his word, your roots will sink deeper and deeper and you will drink in more of God's loving message for you. And you will be deeply rooted so that even when trouble and doubt and fear come into your life, they won't be able to shake you or uproot you from where God has planted you. You stand on the firm, true, unchangeable love that God has for you. You know who you are. You know where you stand. But what happens if you forget those things? What happens when fear and doubt and trouble still come into my life and I stumble? Well, don't worry. Paul closes this section with more encouragement for you in verses 16 and 17. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. The third thing Paul reminds us to do when doubt shakes you is to remember who's got your back. Go back with me to the dog analogy. There are going to be times where you feel 
like you're a defenseless lapdog, little and, and nothing to fight with at all. And you're walking down the street being attacked by the vicious wolves and coyotes of this world. But that's when you remember who you are. You remember who God is, gracious and loving, that he's chosen you and nothing can take that love away from you. When you feel like that defenseless little lapdog, God will scoop you up and protect you from all the worries and troubles and fears that this world brings into your life. That is God's eternal encouragement. He has done it all for you. And he continues to guide and guard your steps each and every day. He's not pushing you out the door, hoping you make it back at the end of the day. He's protecting you constantly. God's end game is encouragement and comfort. God the Father encourages you with his message of love that he chose you from the beginning and no one will snatch you out of his hand. Jesus, God's Son, encourages you with his perfect life, death, and resurrection for you that covers over all of your sins and worries and doubts. The Holy Spirit encourages you as he opens your heart to receive that loving gospel message. And all of that is yours by God's grace. His undeserved love. Through that encouragement, you have a good hope. You have a good hope in a perfect God which makes your hope perfect. Your perfect hope is in a perfect God who will bring you to a perfect heaven. But just because your heavenly home is perfect and your hope is perfect doesn't mean the walk there is going to be perfect. There will still be doubt. There will still be trouble in your life. At times, you might even feel like you've lost your way. But when dogs lose their way, they normally, more than normally, are able to find their way home, especially when they've spent a long time with their owner and at their home. As you spend more and more time with your Savior in his word, you will be reminded constantly of where your home is truly is. And so now I hope that even though doubt and trouble will come your way, I hope a good hope, not a perfect hope, but a good hope, that you will be reminded of who you are, where you stand, and who's got your back all the days of your life. Amen.